program. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Well, the secular king Herod was very troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, but it doesn't seem today that we're very troubled at all that Jesus was born king. Or was Jesus born king? Or was he just born a babe? Have we kept him as a babe and refused to allow him to become king? And how would we even recognize him if he came as king. How would we recognize him? All of that here today on Viewpoint, and it's so good that you have joined us here at this special time of the year as we celebrate and remember the birth of Yeshua Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But if he was to be the Savior of the world, and the wise men identified him as a king, what if we don't? What if we still kind of allow ourselves to slip into babyhood, that Jesus is still in his babyhood? And he really wasn't king anyway. He didn't have any royalty. His mother and father were not royal. They didn't come from royalty, although they did come from the seat of David way, way, way back. But other than that, they didn't have anything to point to some pedigree of some great, great uh, royalty. No, he, he was born simply, he was born in a manger. The announcement first came to shepherds who were not looked upon very highly in Israel and were despised by the Egyptians. So how would we recognize Jesus as king? Would anybody know whether Jesus was king in your life today? Well, apparently, there are many in the church that don't think so. Well, it don't think that Jesus was born king. For instance, a church in the United Kingdom, the UK, has decided to take Jesus and the Nativity out of Christmas instead of promoting a message for the queer and the questioning. That's the new message. It's All Saints with Holy Trinity Church in Lawborough, and it held a service on Monday. It was a in a social media statement that trainee priest Rochelle Brinsert boasted of alterations made to the traditional song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. This priest claimed that he or she loves the church greatly and so changed the wording of the song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. And here's a go. Here's how it went. As the first verse of the hymn was revealed to be, God rest you queer and questioning. Your anxious hearts be still. Believe that you are deeply known and part of God's good will. For all to live as one in peace, the global dream fulfilled. O tidings of comfort and joy. But that wasn't enough. Here's another one. 
God rest you also, women, who by men have been erased, through history ignored and scorned, defiled and displaced. Remember that your stories, too, are held within God's grace. So, the verses replace the actual lyrics of the Christmas carol, which talk about the nativity and how Christ came to save us all from Satan's power. So it apparently, Satan's power is being exercised over this very church and over many, many churches across America and around the world. They have exchanged the kingship of Christ for the kingship of the Antichrist, the Antichrist spirit, all in the name of Christ. Can you imagine a greater blasphemy? Just asking. But the reality is that if we recognize that Jesus was born king of the Jews, as stated by the wise men, were they just being wise guys? Or were they actually expressing a solemn Jesus, Yeshua, was born king of the Jews? And if he was born king of the Jews, how would they know it? Would they know it? By what means would the Jewish people know it? And if the Jewish people couldn't figure it out, why should we be able to? That's really the haunting question of the mystery of the ages, unveiling the mystery of the ages, as I wrote about Messiah. And interestingly, when the wise men inquired of Herod where Jesus was to be born, he didn't know. So he went to the revered priests and scribes. In fact, he went to the chief priests and scribes of the people and demanded of them where Christ, the Messiah, should be born. And they said to him in Bethlehem, of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of you shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. Apparently, Herod was convinced. But even though the Jewish leaders, including the high priest, confessed what God's word said, apparently they still didn't believe it. If they did believe it, then why would they later say, we know that Jesus was not the Messiah because he's to be born in Bethlehem. But he's a Nazarene. He lived in Nazareth. Well, they already said that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. So why is it they didn't go back and double check to make sure that he wasn't? Maybe they didn't want to know. That's the way a lot of Christians are today. Hear no evil, see no evil. I just really don't want to know. The One of the reasons why I don't study God's word anymore is because I just don't want to know. Why would people not want to know? Because they don't want the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, to reveal the word of God that would pierce as a sword deeply into their hearts to bring spiritual 
surgery so that they might actually know Yeshua as the anointed one, as Messiah, and as king. Isn't it interesting that that same Jesus said to his disciples, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Isn't it interesting also that when Jesus was brought to the temple to be dedicated on the eighth day as required under Jewish law, that when Simeon lifted him up and declared that at last he had seen the Christ child, he said to his mother, and a sword shall pierce through your heart, your own heart, that the hearts of many people may be revealed. That's also part of the Christmas story, isn't it? We'll be right back. Stay tuned, friends. This is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today, we're thinking out loud concerning the birth of Jesus Christ, Messiah, anointed one, the Holy One of Israel, who was born king, according to the declaration of the wise men. A declaration that apparently was taken seriously by Herod, king of Judea. So we sent forth his constabulary into Bethlehem, to summarily destroy all the little boy babies two years of age and under so that this king could not survive to rule. Apparently, God had some other ideas about it. And so he sent Joseph's surrogate father, uh, Jesus' surrogate father, Joseph, into Egypt through a, with a warning. Take Jesus, the boy, and his mother, and flee into Egypt because Herod and his uh, forces will do everything they can to destroy him. And Joseph did exactly as God said. Here's a young man who now has a child who was born not of the flesh of man, but of the Holy Spirit, And he's listening to God who tells him, now take this child and flee into Egypt. So Joseph had to take the king of Israel into Egypt. Jesus was born king, right? Now let's leap forward a few years. When the babe would grow and mature, grow in favor with God and man, as the Bible says, And he would learn the fear of the Lord quickly, the Bible says. That's right, the Bible does say that. That Jesus would learn the fear of the Lord quickly. And so, under the ultimate rulership of God, the Creator, as Father, to whom Jesus, as the Son, would submit 
as a God-man in the earth. He began his work as king. But his work as king began as a servant. And the people just didn't recognize it. Now, God had done his very best. He had done his very best to try to prepare the way for the coming of this king. So he introduced him through the shepherds there with a whole legion of angels there singing glory to God on the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And then he was revealed to the wise men who had traveled from afar because they had seen his star in the east and had come to worship him as king. How is it so hard for people to truly worship Jesus as king? The wise men hadn't even seen him. We have the Bible. We have all of these things. We have uh, Christian television. We have Christian radio. We have more Bibles per capita than any other nation on the face of the earth. And we still have a hard time worshiping Jesus as king. Oh, we want him to be our savior. We want him to be our friend. We want him to be our shelter in the time of storm, but we don't much like him to be our king. Because we think of that more like Father God. And we don't do fathers anymore in this country. They're too mean. They're too ugly. They're too, uh, you know, they hold us accountable. We don't like that kind of leadership. So the nation submits not to the God of the Bible, not to Jesus as king, but to Jesus as something else that we're creating in our own image. It's fascinating. But before Jesus showed up on the scene to begin his ministry at age 30, God raised up someone else. It's all part of the Christmas account, the account of Christ coming to earth. And before Jesus was born, there was a man, a a baby, who was born to Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. And she was past the childbearing age. She and her husband passed the childbearing age. But God performed a miracle for them, gave them a son, and then under testing, Zacharias, the baby's father, said his name shall be called, not Zacharias, but John. He was called John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist, because he baptized so many people. But what was it that he was doing? This is so important for us to understand. He wasn't just baptizing people. He was baptizing them in in confirmation of the change of their life that was being prepared to submit to the authority of the new coming king of Israel. That's what he was doing. So in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, we find that he was promised that one would come, a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, telling the people to make straight paths for their feet. Now, what was that all about? Well, think about this. There were not any superhighways in those days. 
no freeways, no interstates, no divided lanes, no paving per se, other than some of the roads that have been paved, so to speak, with rocks or stones by the Roman legions. But aside from that, things were pretty pretty rough. So if the king was coming, they would go out of their way to prepare the way for the coming royalty. They didn't want to disturb. They didn't want him to fall off his horse or off of uh, the carriage or whatever it was that was transporting him. So they would prepare the way. Get rid of all of the stones that would be. And if there were rough places, they would make them smooth. If there were bad curves in the road, they would straighten them out. And that's exactly what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 that John the Baptist was sent to do. He was sent to make the rough places straight, the crooked straight, the rough places plain, that the glory of the Lord might be revealed. In other words, that the king is coming. Now, the interesting thing about all of this is that was before Jesus was born. For six months, John seriously prepared the way of the Lord in Israel. And people realized something is happening here. There is something profound taking place. Maybe, just maybe, this is about the Messiah we've been waiting for. So they flooded from all over Judea, southern Israel. They flooded to the Jordan River where John was baptizing. And they asked him, what what should we do? Even the Roman soldiers showed up. What do you want us to do? What are we supposed to do? And he said, repent. And then he gave them some practical suggestions that should be revealed if indeed they were repenting and turning to submission to the coming king and his uh, sovereignty over their lives. It's amazing what happened. And all of it is displayed in a very short sequence there in the Bible. But you can just imagine, I'm trying to describe it in ways that it undoubtedly took place. But the religious leaders didn't buy it. They had already admitted the Messiah was to be born king of the Jews in Bethlehem. But even though they said that to Herod, and the wise men had come saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? The Jewish leaders still never made a connection. Or, if they made the connection, they didn't want him to rule over them any more than Herod wanted him to rule over him and his secular kingdom. And so there was a standoff. During the entire ministry of Jesus, standoff. Born king. Now, when Jesus did his ministry, we didn't see him functioning so much as a king, but as a teacher, as a priest, as a rabbi, as someone who cared for the people overseed. And interestingly, 
That's the very kind of king that God wanted over his people. He didn't want a king to, shall we say, lord it over his people. He wanted a king that would come with compassion and righteousness and holiness and would uh, deal with the people in mercy and in truth. So we're told by John that the king came and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. They saw it. They saw what this king was like. He wasn't just a king of grace and mercy. He was a king that began with truth. In fact, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not part of a way. I am the way. He used the very words, the very language that God, the Father, had used in discussing with Moses back there when Moses was arguing with God about whether or not he should be the one to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, I, I can't do this. I, I, I stutter all the time, and I, I can't do this. God got angry, and he said, who made man's mouth? So Moses said, well, who shall I tell the people has sent me? And God said, I am. You tell them I am sent you. That is my eternal name. And that's exactly the name that Jesus appropriated and used as king of the Jews. In discussion with the people, when they challenged him, I am I am the light of the world. I am the water of life freely. I am the Father. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he identified himself with the ultimate royalty of all history. The creator of the universe. Talk about royalty. Talk about heritage. He identified himself with that heritage, and yet the people couldn't get it, or wouldn't get it. It's still the same way today. Even among Christians, we want Jesus to be our Savior. We want somebody to forgive us. We want somebody to come along and make us feel better and kiss us better from the wounds, the consequences of our sin. But we don't like it when Jesus tells us how to live righteously and to repent. We don't like that. Because then he's functioning as a king, and we don't like that. We don't want that kind of authority. We don't want a king's authority. We want Mr. Nice Guy. Am I making any sense here? Now, how much would we know that that's exactly what people are thinking in our country today? We would know that because Time magazine, a secular news magazine, told us so. Yes, it did. And after this coming break, I'm going to share it with you, as I have so many times here on the air. It's one of the most profound articles ever written 
in a American news magazine. And it came out almost exactly 30 years ago. Now, I want to make available to you my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. This book will take you way beyond anything we're talking about today. But as we wrap up today, we're going to talk about how he is coming again. In fact, he says, behold, I come quickly. Will you, if we didn't recognize him before, how will we recognize him when he comes quickly? He came quickly the first time. And almost nobody recognized him. Will we recognize him when he comes again? As King of Kings and Lord of Lords? We love Handel's Messiah. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. Really? When is he going to start? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Speaking of marriage, many of you, especially your wives, have indulged, have enjoyed have watched many a program on television or at a movie where royalty, a prince, or a king-to-be or whatever, ends up marrying a woman who was not of, shall we say, royal descent. And that's what makes the, the movie or the film so interesting. The king, or prince, steps off his high horse to marry a woman who does not have royal heritage as required by the powers that be. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do, my friends. As king of kings and lord of lords, he is going to get off of his white high horse And he is going to enter into a wedding supper with a bride. A bride not of royalty, but of simplicity, of faith. A virgin bride, that is a virgin who, a a woman, a bride that has confessed her sin that is walking in purity and in righteousness and in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord or woman. And he is going to embrace her. 
as his bride forever and ever. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? My wife and I purchased years ago a very large painting. A painting of the Last Supper, that is, the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. It's so spectacularly beautiful. And periodically, we bring it out to help people to see, to catch a bit of an image of what that is going to be like. But the problem with that is that many, if not most people who think they're going to be part of that bride are not going to be there. Because they have not made their path straight. Their lives are rough, unrighteous, unrepentant, prideful, unthankful, unholy. And they think because they made a confession some years ago that that's all that was necessary. Yet Jesus himself said, many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say to them, I never knew you. Only those who obey my Father are going to inherit the kingdom with me. That's what Jesus said. As king, the Savior king, Jesus was both prophet, priest, and king. The only one who wrapped all of those together. David was prophet and king, but not priest. Yeshua, as Messiah, was prophet, priest, and king. But it's that kingship thing that creates a problem for us, a big problem. Now, before we go back and take a look at what Time Magazine had to say to us about where we, how we look at Jesus uh, today. Let me make available the book, Mystery uh, Messiah, uh, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. That's my latest book, $22 on our website, saveus.org. $22 on the website. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879. Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And also, let me just remind you, if you aren't aware of it, uh, during the month of December, and only during the month of December, we have five special uh, packages of our books that we're making available at very substantial discounts because we're going to get the message out. Now, there are two of these that apply using the book Messiah. One is a combination of the book Antichrist, which is my previous book, and Messiah. Combining those two together, that would be a retail value of $44, but we're making it available for $36. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. You can write to us. If you're writing a check, add $7 for postage and handling for the two books combined. The other 
offering is three copies of Messiah. Three copies of Messiah, which would be a retail of $66. We're making that available for $51. That's a $19 discount, almost full price for one book by itself. But we're trying to get the message out, see? So you can go to the website, saveus.org, and uh, get any one of these, the five different uh, packages. And by the way, if you get that second offering of three copies of Messiah for $51, you're going to add $9 for postage and handling for the three books combined, which is $3 a book. Okay, all that having been said, we go back to 1993, April 5th, 1993. It was the cover of Time magazine. There was a cross on the front cover. And the cross symbolizes the completion of Jesus' ministry, right? The king is crucified on the cross. There were a whole lot of people on the front cover, just little minute images of individuals. And then in the lower right-hand corner were these words. The generation that forgot God. Now, bear in mind, this is 30 years ago. This was the very time when we were forming Save America Ministries as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation. The early part of 1993. And you can see why God would call me to do that, to lead the practice of law. When you hear these words, see, even Time Magazine identified the previous generation had already forgotten God. That would take us all the way back, friends, to what? Uh, from 1993, take us back to 1970 or 1968. A generation. Well, that would be about right. But that wasn't all that Time Magazine said. They said that Americans were afraid right after Gulf War One. And so they were flooding back to church, and church would never again be the same. Why would church never again be the same? Here was the conclusion of Time magazine after interviewing many, many Christian leaders. Here it was. Church will never again be the same because Americans are worshiping a custom-made God. One made in their own image. A custom-made Jesus. Not the king of the Jews. Not the king of kings. They're worshiping a custom-made Jesus. One that speaks with a lisp and a limp wrist. That always says sweet and nothing things. That never corrects, never rebukes, never calls to righteousness just allows us to do whatever we jolly well please, and then wraps his arms of love around us, whether or not we want to live in open defiance of his word, his will, and his ways, as sexual perverts, as adulterers, as fornicators, thieves, liars, which, by the way, all of those things will keep you out of the king's kingdom. Which, by the way, brings us to another whole issue of if Jesus was born king, that means he had to have a kingdom. 
right? He had to have a kingdom. Because without a kingdom, a king is not a king. He has to have a kingdom. In order to have a kingdom, there have to be subjects in that kingdom. Citizens of the kingdom. Now, you and I are called to be citizens of heaven. We're called to be citizens, not of planet in planet Earth, but citizens of the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the other things will be added unto you. Don't get concerned about this world so much. It's going to pass away. But be concerned about the kingdom of God. In other words, be concerned about my kingdom, Jesus said, because I am king. I'm not just your servant, I'm your king. Interesting. So, if Jesus is king, and he has subjects, and you and I claim to be his subjects in his kingdom, what does that say about us? You see, this is how the word of God is supposed to be taught and preached. It means, very simply, that you and I, as his subjects, claiming to be his subjects, must obey his voice. Just as Jesus said, I obey my Father's voice, even so now you must obey my voice because I'm standing in, shall we say, uh, loco dies to the Father. In other words, in the place of God. I'm standing here in this place. And therefore, you must obey my voice. No wonder In the book of Revelation, over and over again to the churches of Asia, he says, if anyone will hear my voice, if anyone will hear my voice, hmm, is there anyone that really hears his voice and will obey? When the word obey has now become the most hated work among professing Christians? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. In the 1970s, several songs came forward uh, within the broader body of Christ One, the king is coming. The king is coming. I've heard the trumpet sounding. 
The king is coming. Do we really believe that? I mean, other than just in a general way, do we really believe that in the way we live? Now, let's suppose that you had the opportunity to have the governor of your state come to your home. And you were told he's coming. You were told approximately when he would be there. You didn't know exactly the day or the hour, but you knew that he was going to be there within the next two or three days or week. What would you do? Would it be business as usual for you? I'll bet not. I bet you'd scurry about trying to clean things up. You would try to make straight paths for his feet. You try to make sure everything was in order, wouldn't you? Then why wouldn't we do the same thing for the coming of Christ? He's the king. Yeah, he's the king. The king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding. Mm. And it's going to sound. And what he's looking for is a people who have prepared the way, who are walking in repentance, who are walking in righteousness. In fact, that's exactly what uh, Zechariah said of his son that was to prepare the way for the righteousness and the righteous judge to come. Yeshua, Messiah. Jesus himself was the one, the righteous one, who was going to prepare the way for those who would follow in his footsteps and be his servants in his kingdom, the citizens of his kingdom, and they would prepare the way of the Lord. So because of that, Jesus said, that it wasn't just before his first coming that John the Baptist came to prepare the way, but the scripture also says that before the second coming, the spirit of Elijah the prophet will also prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Malachi chapter 4. These are times, friends, well, we have to be able to look at things more soberly, more seriously, more sincerely. This is not a time for business as usual churchianity and business as usual Christmas celebration that is primarily cultural rather than Christian. I'm not saying don't give gifts. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's time for us to reassess our own minds and hearts. I urge you to get a copy of my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, because it's going to help you to understand the greatness of this this matter and how Satan himself is preparing many pseudo-messiahs that people are going to fall down and worship. In fact, ultimately, 
They're creating themselves as the ultimate false messiah. It's not called the me, me generation for nothing. Actually, it's me, me, me. That's the Trinity, the unholy Trinity. The book, Messiah. $22 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, where you can find all of our books there, including the special packages for this month of December alone. Go there. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, PO Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, if you are particularly at $5 if you are uh, writing that check. Okay, now, to obey, the Bible says, is better than all your religious sacrifices. That's why Jesus said seven times in the book of Revelation, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, not to the world, but to the churches. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So what do we need to hear right now? I want to take you to chapter 30 of my book, Messiah. The title, Behold, He Comes Quickly. Suddenly the unveiling explodes in unfathomable and fearful glory before our terrified eyes. Time and eternity becoming congruent. While it's said that time marches on, there is soon coming a moment in which time shall be no more. At the consummate merging of history and prophecy revealed to the glorious appearance of Messiah, Just as he appeared to the shepherds, so he will appear again. But this time he will appear in kingly glory on his white horses displayed in Revelation chapter 19. The ancient prophet Joel gave dramatic warning of that no longer mysterious expectation with words wooing and warning all humanity, both Jew and Gentile, to be prepared. So consider soberly his pleas. Here they are. Gird yourselves and lament. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord comes, it is near at hand. And the Lord shall utter his voice. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Therefore, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments. The Bible says that every eye shall see him. With modern technology, I guess we see that is more possible than ever before. But Jesus came the first time in due season, in the fullness of time. And he's going to come Again, in due season, at the fullness of time. A season is neither a day nor an hour, but a broader yet observable and definable period of time. The ancient prophets spoke with varying levels of specificity regarding the season of Messiah's appearance, yet there was little discernment among Israel's trusted religious leaders, either as to the season 
or identifying marks of the prophesied Mashiach because of preconceived expectations. When tested as to signs from heaven verifying Messiah's coming, Yeshua responded to both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, marveling that they could not discern the signs of the times. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of their spiritual blindness that had hid from their eyes the reality of the messianic presence right there in their midst. Stating that their viewpoint enshrouded their perceptions so that you knew not the time of your visitation. Revelation, however, was not lacking to those Jews having intimately witnessed Jesus' ministry and the events surrounding his resurrection. And here are a few things that we can look for in anticipation. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, the end shall come when the gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout the world as a witness, which, by the way, has now been virtually accomplished. Romans 11.25, the mystery will be revealed when the fullness of the Gentiles is completed. Only then will the blindness in part that has happened to Israel be unveiled. And that's rapidly coming to its conclusion. Galatians 4.4, just as God sent forth his son Yeshua in the fullness of time, even so will the son return in his glory in the fullness of time. Malachi 4, verses 1 to 6, just as Hashem, God, sent forth John the Baptist to prepare the way, so prophesied by Isaiah 40, before Yeshua's first coming as Israel's Messiah, even so will Hashem, as just a just God, send forth another in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for Yeshua's second coming, so that all, both Jew and Gentile, will be forewarned to prepare so as to escape the great, great and dreadful day of the Lord when Messiah comes to judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Oh, and he will come royally. The book of the unveiling or apocalypse declares that upon Mashiach's return, he will come not as a servant and shepherd as at the first, but rather as a reigning royalty with a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He came the first time on a donkey but he's going to return on a white horse to judge and make war. He will come suddenly. The planet and its people have been given not less than two millennia, 2,000 years to prepare, because God is just and always has been given due process through his servants the process. But Jesus said, watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. Therefore, be ready. For in such hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Oh, and he's going to come unsuspectingly. One would reasonably think that after nearly 2,700 plus years of prophetic wooing and warning, that seemingly otherwise intelligent people would seriously prepare their lives for such a momentous and forewarned moment of Messiah's unveiling. But a veil has somehow blinded the eyes and minds of both Jew and Gentile. So as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said, so it's going to be in the days of the Son of Man. It would be business as usual until suddenly the unveiling explodes in unfathomable and fearful glory before their terrified eyes. And Jesus will come visibly and bodily. It will not be a matter of virtual reality or figment of the imagination. On the contrary, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob shall look upon him whom they have pierced. 
and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, because they were unprepared. He will come dramatically. The high drama experienced by Israel at Mount Sinai at the giving of by God of the Ten Words or Commandments will be reenacted with even greater drama at the coming return of the living word, Mashiach. As it is written, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump or divine shofar of God. And as disclosed in the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, the final and indisputable unveiling, unequal drama will disclose the decisive conclusion, resolving for time and eternity the mystery of the ages. And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and his name is called the Lord, the Word of God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of lords. So as the people asked John the Baptist what they should do when he was announcing the coming of the the first coming of the Messiah, they said what shall we then do? And his answer, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. It's a simple message. In other words, Repentance is how we prepare the way of the Lord. It leads us to change that the king can believe in to identify us as truly his bride. Thanks so much for listening here today on Viewpoint. In a sense, it's a summary of our entire ministry. The king is coming. He was born king. The question is, is he your king? I didn't ask you if he was your savior. I asked you if he was your king. Because if you're not his subject, if you don't obey his voice, how can you say he's your king? Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Become a real partner you can participate in this ministry of preparing the way of the Lord. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.